We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Napa know-how. Why should you get two five-quart jugs of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic Motor Oil? Because at Napa, they're only $24.99 each when you buy two, meaning you get more and save more, which is just sound economics. That's two five-quart jugs of Pennzoil Platinum, only $24.99 each. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General states pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Limit two per customer while supplies last. Offer ends 9 19 This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast, powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, podcast fans, to the Gator Nation Football Podcast. My name is Alan Williams, as always, right here alongside James DiVirgilio. A lot of excitement around this time of year for college football. If you don't know, it's coming up on National Signing Day, and we'll get into that a little bit. But James, how are you doing? You ready, to, you ready to podcast here? I'm doing well. It feels good to be back in the studio, sitting next to Alan, doing some podcasting, uh, especially around this time. We've put the Treon saga to bed, the Will Greer saga to bed. We have a new quarterback. We have several new quarterbacks in. We're kind of like moving past... The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart thank you progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates discounts not available in all states or situations chapter one of of the florida football uh as we know it under jim McElwain scenario and now i'm moving into chapter two so it yeah. feels nice it feels like a fresh start and we're obviously doing very well thus far through chapter two yeah so if you're not aware uh let me tell you what national signing day is so there's the ncaa has it constructed where there was a particular date, and this is the first time recruits are able to make binding agreements with universities. They sign this what's called a national letter of intent, and they fax it into the university. I don't know. They still fax it. It's crazy. And that pretty much binds them to the university and the university to them. So they, up till now, recruits can quote-unquote commit, but that's only as much as they want it to mean. You hear guys say, I'm committed, but I'm taking a bunch of visits, and I'm considering all these schools. So... 
that's a word that has lost all meaning in the recruiting world. It's not official until they can sign their national letter of intent. Now, there's some guys who are early enrollees who have already started class. That's a binding thing as well. So if you hear that come up. Uh, so it's kind of a big day in college football. A lot of intrigue. Who's going to, some of these big name guys, where are they going to sign? What's going to happen? You know, it's kind of a little bit of a circus. Um, and it gets kind of out of hand at points. But, James, how are the Gators looking so far? Just big picture real quick. So far, we're consensus top 10. Really consensus top 5-ish, right at 5, probably, if you wanted to average it. Rivals has us at 6. ESPN has us at 6. And Scout has us at 4. The ESPN 150 has kind of become the main if you want to take the best players in the country, where do you put them? ESPN 150, of course, you have you know the rivals 150, 200, 300, and all those sort of things. But we have eight uh, of the ESPN top 150. 150 yeah, players. so we have eight of the top 150 players in the country as decided by ESPN. Of course, generally speaking, the more of these guys you have, the better. Alabama, famously, for the past four years in a row, has had the most. They probably will again um, this season. <clears throat> so it definitely helps you in the future. Recruiting is not the end-all, be-all. A lot of it has to do with how you develop your talent, obviously. Uh, Mark Rick's a good example of that, having been the best recruiter in college football in the past 15, 16 years, translated to zero national titles. So recruiting cannot win it for you on your own, but obviously it can turn your program around. Old Miss, a good example on that side. Been right. a top five recruiting class really every year since Hugh Freeze has been there. And so it matters. Right now what matters is we're doing very, very well. And it seems like we have a, we have a huge class probably going to sign 28 guys, which is a very, very large class. Sometimes you might only sign 20. So it's a big recruiting year for us, a big recruiting year for any coach in his second year. So this one's a very interesting one for us to keep an eye on. And obviously our our idea for today's podcast was twofold. One, we wanted to bring on a recruiting expert uh, on the Florida Gators so we can talk in depth about what the class looks like, how McIlwain's done. And then two, we wanted to bring on a former player who was a very highly recruited guy to kind of walk us through what I'm calling like the GoPro version of recruiting, what would it be like if you were a five-star recruit? How does that feel? What's your life like? How does your life change? And walk through that. So I'm really excited about this podcast, this particular one. It's a unique one for us. I think it's going to be very insightful. I'm looking forward to to what happens, and I'm looking forward to this season, partially because we do have some really good recruiting momentum. Yeah, and so we're going to get a chance today to hear from a recruiting expert, this guy who knows the Gators recruiting inside out. And like you said, uh, get a glimpse of what it's like to be a recruit, um, which is, you know, not <laughs> most of us don't get that experience. And so we're going to let the guests do the heavy lifting in this podcast. So we'll go ahead and jump right in with them. The first one, let's go ahead and bring him on now. We're joined by Blake Alderman. He is a recruiting analyst for InsideTheGators.com. Uh, Blake, we're happy to have you. We're looking forward to talking about recruiting. The 2015 season is behind us. Let's just open up with a broad question, jumping right into it. How are the Gators looking overall at this point right now, January 25th? Well, you know, I think at this point, this is a spot where you want to be in it. And it's a complete 180 from where the staff was last year compared to now. Last year, it felt like Really, last year's cycle, the last three weeks, I felt like it took years off of my life, just how quickly things happened. I mean, it was boom, boom, boom. And here we are this year, Florida sitting at 26 kids uh, in their class. A lot of needs are met. At this point, it's, it's cherry-picking. You know, it's, it's, you know, you identify where your main needs are and you chase your top targets. Because at this point, that's really where Florida is, is focused on. It's your top targets. 
So I think at this point, this is as far as you want to be. Uh, and I'm, as far as rivals, uh, team rankings go for recruitings, uh, Florida has drifted down a little bit, and that's not anything necessarily wrong with their class. It's just, you know, 26, you know, you have a high number of commits. So these other schools that are getting, you know, maybe a five-star here and there just kind of jumbled the numbers up. So Florida, is, is, you know, has dropped a little. They were five. They just dropped back to six. So, you know, anyways, six with, you know, a uh, chance to add some top guys still, you know, is, is a, you know, can't complain where Florida's at right now. So who are the biggest recruits so far in the class, the biggest names, maybe the most high-profile guys that are currently in? Well, you know, uh, the guy that jumps off, you know, just as far as looking at stars is the five-star defensive end, uh, Antonius Clayton, who's out of Georgia. Uh, Rivals has him as the number one weak side defensive end. Uh, really, that rush position really kind of fits the same build as uh, Alex McAllister. Only comes in, you know, about 6'3", uh, you know, 225 range. So he comes in with a little bit more meat on his bones than what Alex McAllister had. You know, McAllister took a couple years to kind of develop there. So, you know, that's really the one guy that jumps off. Another guy who's already on campus is an early enrollee, Chauncey Gardner. He's a, a top defensive back. Really kind of fits more of a nickel role, can kind of ro- roam around. You know, he can play different spots. He can play the corner. Nickel, I think, is where he, you know, is, is his bread and butter. I think he kind of fits the build of, you know, Brian Poole. Um, you know, just kind of scrolling through another guys in their commitment list. You know, Felipe Franks, obviously, uh, the quarterback, the rivals 100 quarterback from up in the panhandle. The need that Florida had at quarterback, you know, would just uh, after Will Greer, you know, who was suspended and then now is transferred, Treon Harris, you know, really didn't seem to really kind of fit the bill of what McElwain wants. So here you go, you get in the 6'5", 225, 215 range, you know, pocket quarterback passer with a cannon of an arm. So, you know, those are a couple guys that really kind of jump off the list as far as just looking at the commitments right there that, you know, guys that I think are going to make an immediate impact for Florida. What do you think going into signing days are is still our biggest area of need? Are we are we lacking anywhere? Is there a spot we really need to have a few guys signed to to kind of complete or round out the class? You know, at this point, I, I don't. I think you know, there's two spots where you know, if I'm really looking, that Florida really could stand some help. I think they need some help on the offensive line. I think you know, when you're in the SEC. You can never have enough offensive linemen. You know, it's, you know, all aboard. You know, that's how I see it. The one guy who really kind of jumps out that Florida has on their board is uh, they have really two linemen that look like legitimate possibilities at this time. There's an offensive guard out of South Carolina. His name is John Simpson. I uh, visited Florida uh, not this weekend, but the weekend before on the 15th. Uh, he took an official to Florida, was at Clemson this past weekend. That really kind of seems where those. You know, two schools that are really kind of fighting it out, obviously living in South Carolina. Clemson kind of gets a little bit of that early talk from the in-state. You know, there is legitimate interest in Florida. I think right now it's kind of now that he's taking his visits where he kind of goes back and forth. Uh, and another guy on the offensive line, Malcolm Pridgen, uh, he's a junior college guy. He already has some experience there. I think he's the kind of guy that Florida, you know, if you look at guys that Florida really needs, not necessarily wants on the board, I think he's one of the guys at the top of the board there. With Florida having – you know, they have talent on their offensive line now, but they're very young. So a mix of a junior college guy like that who has some size, who's played a little bit of college ball, I think that that really is a guy that, you know, Florida could really stand to, to add in their class. Uh, and another guy, you know, just kind of looking, you know, they have a, quite a few defensive backs in their class now. I think one guy that, you know, is looking is they have a lot of safeties. They don't really have one of those uh, Tabor, Hargreaves kind of corner guys there. And I think that's where a guy like Kristen Fulton, he's a, a top Rivals 100 guy out of Louisiana. Uh, Florida, LSU has really been the schools mentioned most with him. Arkansas is in there to an extent. Uh, he's already been to LSU for an official. He'll be at Florida this weekend for an official. So the staff is hoping that 
they can kind of sway him in there. Uh, obviously, living in Louisiana, LSU is going to get a lot of hype there, but the staff is hoping to kind of win the parents over. It seems like Kristen's very high on Florida. Obviously, parents living in Louisiana would like him a little bit closer to home, but uh, this weekend will be kind of be where the staff kind of makes that final push and, and hopefully wins the family over. But, you know, just looking at it, I think the offensive line and maybe a top corner like that is, you know, really the biggest needs Florida has. Uh, they could stand another offensive, or excuse me, a, a linebacker, and they could maybe stand uh, a wide receiver if they can. Uh, they have a tight end left on the board there, uh, but you know at this point, you know they have a, you know a good number of wide receivers. Uh, they have another uh, pass rusher on their board. I think Florida has two guys currently committed there, so I think those are more luxuries. But you know a, a lot of guys they want, but really the two needs: corner, offensive line. Yeah, are there any other big names out there? Maybe top twenty-five guys who are considering Florida that we might see, I'm thinking particularly like a Mac Wilson or somebody like that, either a linebacker or wide receiver that the Gators might reel in here at the last moment. You know, man, I've been one of the guys that's just been on the fence of where I, I really think I'm, I think Mac Wilson's going to Alabama. You know, I, I, that's really kind of the stance I've taken from it. I think he has interest in Florida. I just I don't see him leaving the state of Alabama. One guy that I do think Florida has a good shot with uh, is a wide receiver out of Texas. His name is Tyree Cleveland. He's from Jacksonville originally. He moved out to Texas and still has some family in the Jacksonville area. Um, so he's taking a visit this weekend. He's committed to Houston. Um, they lost their wide receivers coach. He's been really shaky on his commitment since then. He's visited TCU. He's visited Arkansas. He'll be at Florida this weekend. I think that's a guy that Florida can sway. He has ties to the state of Florida. He's actually uh, familiar with a, a guy who's in Florida's class, who's from Jacksonville. They knew each other from whenever he used to live out here. Uh, so, you know, I think that, uh, you know, having Kerry Dixon there, who can kind of relate there, Kerry Dixon's recruiting very hard. Kerry Dixon also is from Houston. So there's, you know, there's just a lot of things that can really, you know, there's positives in Florida's favor here. There's just little things like that. But I can see, you know, them swinging him, you know, give him a good visit this weekend. And I, I think, you know, anything can really happen there. Blake, what about sleepers? Sleepers that are currently signed and maybe a few guys that are, are sleepers that are yet to be signed. Uh, you know, I think right now, you know, Florida has most of their sleepers already in the class. I think at this point with numbers crunched, there really aren't any sleepers left on the board. They're, they're chasing the stars, if you will. So, But, you know, guys in their class that I really feel like are sleepers, um, a guy that, you know, he's not really necessarily a sleeper anymore, but I always like to use him as an example, Michael Perrine. He's a running back out of Alabama. Whenever he, uh, Florida took his commitment, he was kind of an unknown three-star, uh, best offer with Mississippi State. Since then, he's rose up the rivals' rankings. You know, he, he uh, his senior tape was great. We actually just made him a four star in the last rankings. Uh, he's, his cousin is uh, P. Ryan, who runs it out at Oklahoma. So he has the same kind of build there. Um, you know, I think he was a guy that you know is, is kind of a sleeper there. But another guy too that I really like watching his senior film is a defensive back commit, Aaron Robinson. He's uh, at a Deerfield High School. Uh, Watching his film, you know, I said Florida doesn't really have a true cover corner, and I, I think that they still need a guy like a Hargreaves, a Tabor. But Aaron Robinson's senior tape is really good. He's going against a lot of type, uh, top uh, wide receivers in the Broward County area, uh, playing for Deerfield, High, Deerfield Beach High School. They go against a lot of top teams. So, I mean, he's tested. His you know, senior tape is very good, quite a few interceptions. So I think that these are two guys that I think can really surprise people. So anything, you know, we're coming up here on National Signing Day. Uh, any just – surprises or decommits or I don't know anything that you're I guess if they're surprises you can't always expect them but anything that Gator fans should be looking out for that might be unexpected that you might want to give a prediction on 
Uh, as far as guys leaving the class, you know, I think at this point Florida has done a pretty good job. One guy that seems to be uh, looking around the most would be a guy named uh, Ja'Kai Polite. He's from uh, Mainland High School. Uh, Mainland High School has produced uh, Leonard Williams. That's it. I'm like sitting here blanking. Leonard Williams, you know, he gets drafted in the NFL. He, uh, he went to USC. They have a coach that's uh, from Mainland High School on their staff. You know, they do really good at Mainland High School. You know, kids, he got an offer and he immediately set up a visit. You know, he took the visit this past week in USC. He was at Florida the weekend of the 15th. Uh, so, you know, now he's kind of saying, you know, he has, you know, some deciding to do. I, I really do think he sticks. But, you know, another, a couple other guys that are looking around, uh, Christopher McWilliams, he's a defensive back. He's uh, from Miami. He took a visit this past weekend to Miami. Uh, but he'll be in Florida this weekend. So, you know, I think that that's kind of those things when you're the staff and you get that last visit, that's really something that, you know, you kind of like to have. Uh, another guy who's going to visit FSU this coming weekend is Shavar Manuel. Uh, he's a defensive tackle, defensive end commit. Uh, he'll visit FSU this past weekend. He was, uh, or excuse me, this coming weekend. He was at Florida this past weekend. Uh, so, you know, those are a couple guys that are looking around. But for the most part, I mean, out of Florida's 26, 12 are early enrollees already on campus. For the most part, you know, they're, a lot of their commits are taking the, their official visit this coming weekend. So they'll have most of their guys remaining left, you know, on campus. So, you know, I think at this point, you know, it seems like a lot of guys are going to stick. So let's let's talk about the class in aggregate. Where right now do we stand? I know there's several recruiting services. Where are we ranked amongst those main ones, ESPN rivals, et cetera? And and where are some of our top competitors ranked um in you know retrospect to us? Uh, you know, I really I don't really follow the other rankings. You know, I, I really kind of stick with rivals, but I, I think for the most part, I mean I think they're all fairly the same, five, four um, six is what they are on rivals right now. But I mean, for the most part, um, you know, Florida state is actually right behind Florida on theirs. Um, you know, they've done pretty well in the state, you know, getting some guys in there just from their success. Alabama, I think is going to be one of those teams that, you know, they, I mean, they had, I think like nine rivals, 100 top 100 kids on campus last weekend. So, I mean, it feels like they always have some kind of, you know, they always seem to put together a loaded class. They sit at 12 on rivals rankings right now, but, you know, I can see them adding a couple five stars in there. Uh, Georgia is actually, you know, they put together a pretty good class since Kirby Smart's been there. You know, holding on to Jacob Eason was kind of the big part there. Uh, they've added a couple pieces there to the class since he's been there. They added Riley Ridley as an early enrollee. He's a wide receiver from down in, uh, down in Florida. Uh, you know, and then they, they have a couple guys in Georgia that are still looking at them, a couple five stars. So I think that you know, having those guys, like guys that grow up in the state of Georgia, really kind of grow up as, as Georgia locks. You know, you don't usually see a lot of those guys leave the state. So, you know, I think for the most part, you know, the SEC, these new coaches have done a pretty good job. South Carolina has done uh, fairly well recruiting since uh, Will Muschamp has been there. Um, you know, that's one of those things where you have to see if he can kind of coach up these guys that he gets there. They've, they're at 32 right now in the rivals rankings. But, you know, it seems like every weekend they put together, you know, they have a couple commitments. But, you know, Muship and those guys are really good recruiters. So, you know, I think that uh, a lot of these guys joining the SEC East is going to make it, you know, some pretty interesting recruiting battles going forward. So, you know, we've been around um, Coach McElwain for a couple of years now. What's your impression of him as a recruiter overall? You know, he's, he's, you know, he really has a lot of saving-like qualities in his recruiting. You know, he really is a guy that, you know, he, he's, he makes jokes, he cracks some jokes. I mean, he's not like a statue or anything like that. But, I mean, he is about business, you know. And he, uh, you, know, he, he, you know, he's just he's a really straight shooter with a lot of these guys. A lot of the coaches are. You know, they don't really kind of tiptoe around anything. Uh, for one thing I have noticed just from kind of following them the last two classes, 
is that they're really good, especially this class. This is really their first full class because it's not such a rush like it was last year. A lot of these guys that, you know, they took early on, there were a lot of low three stars, a lot of guys that have quite the offers, you know, that people thought, you know, why are they, you know, we're, I, I can see the message on my message board now. Why are we recruiting like we're still at Colorado State kind of thing? But now you see these guys, they've rose up a lot of the rankings. They're getting, you know, guys that were three stars now, four stars and, you know, top 250 guys and whatnot, you know. Uh, so I think that at this point, I really have noticed that they have an eye for talent. These guys, you know, when they look at the film, you know, a lot of these guys now are having schools like Alabama, USC. A lot of these guys that have been committed to Florida for a while that are still kind of taking some visits now and looking around, they're getting chased by the big dogs now. And those were the ones where Florida has benefited getting out and early in front of them and seeing the tape, evaluating, offering, and, you know, getting them reeled in. It's always easier to hold on to your kids than have to flip a kid. Yeah, and that's really insightful to, to see that the scouting uh, this early on, this quickly, has been good. What right now has been – McElwain's ability or the task in front of him to sort of penetrate the state of Florida because he came in with Alabama contacts. Certainly he had some contacts, I'm sure, to the high schools, but he kind of started with a rather blank slate. How was he able to get into the schools, him and his staff, so quickly to start to evaluate some of these under-the-radar kind of guys? Well, when he was at Alabama, he actually recruited the state of Florida. He was uh, he recruited the Orlando area, which is kind of beneficial for Florida because the Orlando, the Tampa areas, I mean, those are those are gator country whenever you look as far as the, the recruiting map, if you will. Those are places that, you know, that are, that do well for Florida. They do well. They, you know, the offer means something. A lot of those kids have, when they're like, what is it, a two-and-a-half-hour drive at the campus. So, you know, those are, you know, bread-and-butter counties for Florida, so to say. But, uh, you know, the, the thing that they've done to really enforce, you know, the gator brand, I know that's the thing that, you, you know, you see McElwain say in all of his – you know, his press conferences, they make sure that they hit a ton of these schools. Even today, Florida was kind of on the road hitting some recruits up. At this point now, you know, with full class, you know, they're, they're kind of balancing out their visits as the week goes. Today was a lot of 2017 kids. The, the fact they want to do, they want to try to hit as many schools as they can around the state just so, you know, this, this school may not have a top recruit right now, but in a couple of years, a guy could develop, a guy could transfer. They want to make sure that they stay in good graces with all these coaches around the school. They make sure that, you know, these schools see guys there with gator jackets on. They want to make sure they're seen, get the brand out. So, you know, that's really the thing that they do. They make it a point just to go hit as many schools as they can, evaluate a lot of these kids. And I think that's where you see where they get in front of a lot of these kids, too, just for making it a point to hit around all these schools, talk to these coaches. You know, you may be at a school and, yeah, you're recruiting this kid at you know, school A, but you're talking to the coach and the coach is like, oh, did you hear about this kid over at the school across town? He's a beast, you know, like these things, you know, building these contacts and stuff. I mean, you never know when things like that can fall into your lap. And I think that's something that the staff is doing is making sure just to, you know, just be known around the state. Have you noticed a difference in the type of player that McIlwain is recruiting over what Muschamp recruited? Uh, You know, there is differences. Uh, It seems like as far as an offense goes, you really didn't have an identity with Muschamp. You know, he's running the pro, he's running the spread, he's running the pro. He, he I mean, he, he fumbled around a lot with that. So it really seemed like on offense, they were looking for different guys. You know, as far as what McElwain wants, they want to get bigger guys. You know, it seems like they target the taller receivers to have some weight on them. Uh, they want those road grader offensive linemen, if you will, uh, you know, the guys that, you know, can help you run it up the middle. Uh, a lot of their running backs, I mean, you look at Mark Thompson, who is an early enrollee, a junior college back, he's coming in at 235 pounds. You know, they, they go for the bigger, they want to punish you. I think that's the, the best way to, to describe it. They just want to make sure they target these guys that, you know, what you call them, the one that's the first off the bus. You know, they want them to get off the bus and everyone's like, oh, wow, look at that guy. That's excellent. Um, 
Well, <laughs> let me ask you one final question here. You used to live in Gainesville. Um, it was something we ask a lot of our guests. Can you give me your favorite restaurant in Gainesville from your time here? Man, well, I mean, I like Satchel's, but I feel like that's really like the lame answer that everyone says. I really do like uh, Burrito Famous, though. It's low-key the best place to get a burrito in Gainesville. Ah, uh, Burrito Famous is a good choice. What's uh, what's your go-to burrito there? Uh, double steak, for sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Burrito Famous, great. You can get the queso on the burrito for free. Which yeah, is that's what I'm saying. Nice everyone touch. everyone talks about the Moe's and, and the Chipotle. Chipotle will give you a coli. Moe's tastes like cardboard. Got to go with Burrito Famous. <laughs> excellent. That's, that's some excellent burrito analysis as well. We appreciate that. So uh, that's part-time, part-time burrito connoisseur. Yes, that's good. <laughs> you can start your own burrito blog there. Uh, Blake, <laughs> thanks so much for being on today. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's Mr. Alderman. That's M-I-S-T-A-A-L-D-E-R-M-A-N. Check him out. Follow him over at Rivals. Really appreciate you giving us some time today, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. So now that we've gotten brought completely up to speed with where the class is, Alan, what are your feelings as we head into National Signing Day, which is now one week away, uh, basically, from today? Yeah, I'm feeling optimistic for the Gators. It's a really good class. A lot of people get too stuck on these big storylines of signing day. Do we flip anybody from one school to the next, uh, You know, steal a recruit, or do we get any of the last remaining big-name guys who sometimes are – take on a life of their own because they're the last remaining uncommitted guys. I think this coaching staff has done a really good job up to this point. Did all of their work, you know, in the months previously. And we're just maybe going to hopefully land one of these last one or two guys. And even if we don't, this is a really, really solid class. And, you know, each of these services ranks players, you know, <laughs> zero to five stars. But that's it's an inaccurate science to say the least. Uh, so just because a guy has five stars next to his name doesn't mean he's going to be awesome. And a lot of these three-star guys turn out to be great. But what you want to do is get enough of these guys. And it has shown if you're not going to win a national title probably unless you're recruiting in somewhere in the top ten consistently. So it is important. These things do matter somewhat. But you know, I think we don't want to get so stuck on if we miss out on this guy, the whole class is like ruined or whatever. What about you? Yeah, I think that's really well said. Uh, the stars are not arbitrary. They certainly matter in aggregate. So if you look at recruiting as an index, you know if a school has done very well for four or five or six years as an index that they have probably recruited a bunch of good players. But to pick one guy and say that guy's going to change the landscape of football or that guy's going to win you a national title, why those guys exist, very, very hard to do that. So what I love about this class, looking at it through that lens, is that I think we have a discernifiable system with which we are using to get our guys. We have an identity with which how we want to play. And I think McIlwain is, is proven already to be very good at knowing what kind of player he wants and then targeting that guy. And then also making sure that we are getting guys that fit our needs. Sometimes you can get a really splashy recruiting class, but it can miss huge, huge areas like that you need. Like some of champs, like not recruiting any offensive linemen for a couple of years and leaving us a giant hole this year. That can happen for And sure. that's a perfect example. Yeah. And those were highly rated classes. And so maybe you don't follow recruiting very much and you, you open up uh, you know, Rivals or ESPN or the paper and you say, oh, this is great. Look, we finished in the top five or top ten. It can be a little bit smoke and mirrors-ish. This class is a is very high on quantity, but also I think it's high on need quality, not just overall quality. We're not going to have the most ESPN top 150 guys. It's not that kind of class, but it's a class that I think really addresses a lot of our needs very, very nicely. And it's a class where we don't have to be that nervous 
because most of the heavy lifting has been done. Mm-hmm. And it seems like McElwain wants to be that kind of recruiter. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll was famous for the last two weeks of the recruiting season, having like 10 five stars that he was in on, and he'd like signed six of them. But he almost had this class where he'd have nine guys. And you'd look and everyone else had 22 and 23, and Pete had nine right until the last day. I don't think McElwain has any interest in being that kind of guy. So it's nice as a fan. It's easy. It's kind of simple. You're not thinking, oh my gosh, there's 15 guys I want. Um, so And whereas last year, he had to close really hard because when he stepped in, there was almost nothing. And he brought in some big guys, C.C. Jefferson, Antonio Callaway, um, Martez Ivy, closed with some really important guys. So that is an important part of the process. But if you're living and dying with that as a fan, I think you can kind of miss it. And, you know, next week, we're going to do a podcast post-signing day where we really break down the class and who we got. You know, we don't want to make any statements because it's not done yet. But feeling pretty optimistic heading into signing day, I think would be where we're at absolutely february 3rd signing day we're going to come back on february 4th let the dust settle a little bit give our overall impressions we're going to have a national recruiting analyst on to talk with us about what we think the gators have done in comparison to others and kind of just put everything in perspective as we transition into the true 2016 season with that we're going to now transition to the second piece of our podcast where we have uh, one of my friends emmanuel moody who was a very very highly recruited player played for usc played for Florida. Um, Just a guy that had really kind of an unfortunate career, looking Mm -hmm. back on it now as a college player. He was a a guy that was ranked uh, higher than LaShawn McCoy and a lot of guys that are playing in the league. He was sort of a can't-miss, big-time NFL running back prospect. And his career, I think, illustrates nicely the fact that you can't just look at a, a recruit's star number and say, this guy will be amazing, even if it's not his potential. There's injuries, there's coaching circumstances, there's so many things that go into what allows a player to flourish that goes just beyond work ethic and talent a lot of times. Um, but we thought it'd be great to bring him on and get his his story. What is it like? What does it feel like? He's a guy that had, just had a lot of experiences. You know, left, went out of state to play, went out of state when he transferred, was essentially recruited twice. And I think sometimes what gets lost in the shuffle is what it's like to be the 18-year-old kid on the other end of the process. And as a fan, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's so fickle. It's so frustrating. Why is he doing this? But I think if we all go back to our 18-year-old selves and and really put ourselves in the shoes of a top-level recruit, we might realize that it's it's a pretty difficult undertaking. Yeah, it's a really fascinating conversation. So let's go ahead and bring him on now. We're joined now by Emmanuel Moody, uh, former ESPN top 150 recruit in the class of 2006. He was top five in his position. He hails from the state of Texas, went to USC, played under Pete Carroll. He was Pac-12 freshman of the year. He wanted me to tell everyone that he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, And then he transferred (laughs) to the University of Florida. Emmanuel is also one of my good friends, so I'm allowed to razz him a little bit. Emmanuel, thanks for being here with us today. We look forward to talking to you kind of about what it was like to be a top recruit. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right, let's start. Let's start off looking back at maybe your middle school or high school football days. So, how old were you when you first started to get interest from colleges about playing at the next level? Interest. I was a junior in high school. I was a third string running back starting off in high school. Third string, just a loser of all losers. And I, I, you know, we, we followed our, our, our head coach. They say, hey, come on, like, why is he third string his junior year? Like, what's going on here? Let's, let's cut the politics aside. You know, let's, let's, you know, he shouldn't be third string. So 
Uh, my uncle kind of got involved, like you have to, uh, you know, like like most parents do. He was kind of like my father figure in my life. And he got involved, talked to the coach, probably said a few words that rubbed the wrong way. But hey, I got a chance to actually play the second game and score it up. Ever since then, we just never looked back. And uh, college, just I think by the fourth game, we had A&M uh, scout come out and check us out. And ever since then, we just uh, everything kind of blew up. So yeah, what was it like when the recruiting really got heavy? Because obviously, you are you know highly ranked guy. Was it exciting? Was it overwhelming? What do you remember about that? Mm, yeah, it was, it was super exciting. I mean, this is something that I thought about ever since I was a kid. It was my dream, and of course, I was one of those kids that like all the other millions of kids growing up said they're going to be in the NFL. Uh, one thing is I actually believed it, kind of worked towards whatever it took to get there. And finally, when I saw that it was reality, my junior year and A&M showed interest, and everyone just kind of piggybacked off of that. You know, tears came to my eyes. I was like, this is actually happening. Then I think one of the pivotal moments was when uh, Texas offered me. I'm a Florida kid, but in the same way I'm a Texas kid, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of half and half when my parents split. I lived in Texas for 10 years. So Florida, Texas, kind of grew up in Texas for the most part. And what Texas offers a Texas kid, that's huge. It's like you can't really uh, uh, no comparison to a kid in Florida because there's so many big schools in Florida, Miami, Florida State, Florida Gators. But in Texas, it was just UT at the time. Now you got you know, A&M and Baylor. Uh, they're, they're a big name too now in Texas, but at the time Texas offers you, you're the deal. So uh, I, that was probably one of the moments that made me cry. Did that change at that moment? Did you feel like as even as a high school student, you've got your circle of friends, you're going through the daily life of high school, you're playing sports like so many other high schoolers do and did and will continue to do. But then all of a sudden, you've got an offer from Texas. You've got an offer from a school that everyone in your school knows. Did that change even how people perceived you and how maybe your friends even entreated you? Maybe that sounds a little bit too significant, but did that? Did there seem to be a change in sort of how you even felt about yourself given the, the validity that a school like Texas offering you would, would bring you? Yeah. Um, I mean, your friends do start to change. You really have to look out who who's your true friend and who's been there since the beginning. Um, you know, and of course, you have people trying to use you because once you do become a big name in, in Texas, and Texas offers you, and you become that number one running back in the state, and all the other uh, titles that comes along with with being the number one running back in the state. Um, yeah, you become the man. You, know, you become the man of the high school. Like, I didn't even want to wear my letter, Letterman jacket because I felt like it was, it was over the top. <laughs> it was over the top because, oh, here comes Emmanuel wearing his Letterman jacket now, too. You know, he's already the this guy who got recruited by Texas and got an offer from them, and he has number one running back in the state. Now he's wearing his Letterman jacket. So people perceive you a certain way. They're always judging you, and they're always, you know, thinking the little things you do. It's like, whoa, he's showing off, and, like, I'm just drinking my water, man. No, it's the way you're drinking your water. You're kind of being cocky when you're doing it. You know, you know it's just like things like that. Everyone kind of uh, prejudges you, and, and every little 
movement and word you say and speak and do, you know, all eyes are on you and you know, you kind of had to get over that that point of, hey, man, who cares? Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone can't please everybody. Um, but yeah, that's how it was in high so, school. So you end up committing to USC, uh, Southern Cal. Uh, what was it like having Pete Carroll in your living room? <laughs> that was unreal. But Pete Carroll, he shows up at lunch at my high school. Pete Carroll, I mean, it's the dynasty at the time, okay? They're the dynasty. They, I, they haven't even lost to UT yet, but they were really on top of the world at this time. Um, he pulls up with Steve Sarkeesian, Lane, SL500, Mercedes. All the kids are looking and are like, oh, my gosh. Like, Manuel has Pete Carroll coming up to his high school. This is unreal. He's touring the facilities and everything. Then, yeah, fast forward, he comes to my house. My mom, like, cooked him dinner that night. And it was unreal. I mean, I I, mean, I, was, I was a big fan of Pete Carroll and everything he's done and of USC. And, you know, they're a dynasty. And they've had so many Heisman Trophy winners. So it was a surreal moment. What did you base your decision on? I mean, you had you – had you know, interest from Miami and Texas and A&M and USC and, and much like kids today, what, what was it that led you to want to choose USC over the other ones? Did you have a, a rubric in your mind? Was it a gut feeling? I mean, tell us a little bit about that. Mm. Well, I mean, a, a quick background. I grew up with nothing. I mean, we grew up poor. We didn't have much. You know, we, didn't, we didn't come from money or anything like that. My mom raised, you know, five of us. Uh, including my grandma, she had to support her. I didn't raise her, of course, but I had to support my grandmother as well. So, you know, I come from a lot. We lived in, you know, uh, nearly government housing. It wasn't government housing, but these apartments weren't, you know, they weren't nice, to say the least. So, to me, it was, I mean, like, media kind of raised me, and my mom did raise me well, I and mean, she's a Christian and everything. I kind of did grow up in the church, but I media raised me so USC was the hot spot at the time you know you see all the celebrities on the sideline and uh, they have all the Heisman Trophy winners they have all the or most of the Heisman Trophy winners and most of, they had the most national titles at the time so Bama just passed them up I guess so that just and it was Hollywood so I mean the glitz and the glamour that's the reason I went there and I can't say oh man it was went there because I wanted to make sure I got my degree and uh, it's a prestigious school and I want to become a doctor as my, you know, my backup plan. And, you know, I didn't have that. Uh, that wasn't the road or that wasn't the reason why I chose the school I went to, which is the wise choice to make, you know, with, with, when, when you do have parents who, who are kind of guide their child uh, life at, you know, guide their child making the right decision on choosing a school, you want to look at the academics part. We didn't look at the academics. Even though USC is like one of the best academic schools in the world, I just went there because it was USC at the time. And uh, I, I, Real quick, like once I got off that plane, I just saw palm trees. The weather was 75 degrees. Ken Norton Jr. took me to Manhattan Beach. We ate by the beach. 
it was like it wasn't real. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, it just wasn't real, and I, I I chose them. So the recruiting process overall, like when you look back on it, um, was it tiresome? Did it get old for you? Um, did, were you feeling a lot of family pressure? Like, what do you remember about it now? Yeah, I, I did feel a lot of pressure. Pressure from your friends, you feel pressure from the school, from the state, the state and state, especially when you were committed to Texas. I was committed to Texas my junior year. And, you know, Texas, uh, anyone who's been in or lived in Texas, they can say that we probably are the most arrogant, cockiest people in the U.S. Everything's bigger in Texas. You know, they, they really believe that out here. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of Texas pride and, you know, Texas kids leaving Texas wasn't, didn't sit well with them. So I did feel a lot of pressure to stay. And, you know, you, you, you hear it from you know, your teachers and from your family and they kind of wanted me to stay in state. But at the time I, I, I wanted, you know, to go a place that had better weather as well. I mean, Texas weather is bipolar, gets cold, hot, rainy, and all in one day it can no and sleet in the same day so it wasn't something i was looking forward to and i wanted to get out of uh, texas for the most part for uh, a lot of reasons and i remember miami and usc were my top two uh schools that i was looking at so once you had committed and obviously you were committed to texas and this question can be answered twice really you're committed to texas then you switch then you're committed to usc what happens during that process are the are did the coaches back off at all or did the coaches of usc and miami and texas when you had decommitted from them do they continue to pursue you call you uh text you you know whatever the case may be until signing day yeah uh you you would have like texas you know they, they weren't as persistent as they were before when i was committed but they would still say, hey, look, Miami's coaching staff just got fired. You know, not sure where you stand right now. Um, you, know, you know that we're still here. Um, because if they really want you, they'll still be there. And that's how I always saw it. If, they, if the school really wants you, then they'll still be there. And you're just a kid, so of course you're not going to make the right decisions. And um. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, all the schools were were still there, even when you're committed. I mean, schools are still writing you, um, pursuing you, and you know, as they should be. I and mean, if you're if you're a top recruit, and I know coaches get their bonuses, and you know they're known as a, a great recruiter if they land star four star kids. So moving on to like National Signing Day, when you actually able to sign that letter of intent. What was that like for you? Do you remember it very well? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I didn't, I didn't do the whole press and all that. I just really, that's not, you know, that's not really what I was in, interested in, but it was just nice to see that, Hey, it's finally over with. I'm going to this school. Um, don't have to really, deal with the whole recruiting process again because 
a lot of people say, oh, man, it must have been awesome that you're, by, you're getting recruited by all these schools. And a kid who's getting one scholarship offer, like a Barry Sanders, for example, I mean, all he had was Oklahoma State, which was probably the best offer he said he had. And a kid like that would tell me, hey, man, it's awesome. You get recruited by all these schools, this and that, and the grass looks it looks green on the other side. But when you have every school in the country, and I'm not trying to say this arrogantly, but every school in the country recruiting you, offering you, it's hard to make a decision now. You know, like what do you make a decision based on? And, you know, they're calling you during school, they're texting you during school, and they're sending e- emails and they're sending letters and – Sometimes it can get overwhelming and what's supposed to be a um, fun, enjoyable time, it can become a headache and very stressful. And, you know, it's coaches are asking for commitments. And, hey, if you don't commit now, we might soap all the spots, you know. And it's like you don't want to hear that because you really like the school. But, hey, you like this other school too. And it's just like all these schools are showing interest, so it really can get confusing. It's like – like, you know, throw Justin Bieber out there, for example. Look, that guy will probably never get married because he has every hot chick trying to come after him. And think of as a top recruit, every hot chick trying to come after you. It's like, which chick do you pick? <laughs> if that uh, analogy works. It, yeah. do, it does, like, yeah. And that's a that's a good <laughs> element of psychology because you're, you're really indicating several studies that have backed this forever, that the more choice you have, the harder it is to make a decision. And on top of that, like you said, you're rather ill-equipped exactly. as a high schooler to decide where your future is best served. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you have any second thoughts immediately? I mean, the, you know, after you faxed in that letter, were you like, oh, no, what have I done? Or did I pick the right place? Yeah, of course you have those doubts because, you know, some of the coaches who you've built a relationship with, um, you know, Bobby from, from Texas, he's one of the guys, and, and also – uh, Cristobal, Mario Cristobal was like one of my favorite guys from Miami. He recruited me hard from Miami, and and I was actually going to go there, but you know I remember that staff got fired. Choosing USC when they got fired, but you know you have these coaches, and you actually built genuine relationships with shit, genuine relationships with them. And I actually just ran to Mario Cristobal a few months ago when Miami played Wisconsin. He said, Emmanuel. I'm just going to go back to recruiting days. You know, I meant it. Here's my number. If you need anything, you know, if you ever think about getting the coaching, contact me. I mean, I was genuine about, you know, how I recruited you. I really saw you as one of my guys. And I really liked you as a person. You know, so if you ever want to get into coaching, and this is when he, and this is, you know, currently when he's with Bama, like this is a few months ago, he just said that. So, you know, it was tough when you, when you run into genuine guys like Mario Cristobal and, great recruiters like him and yeah it's tough so what's it like now you're done with signing day you finish that you finish you know your semester at school you're obviously i'm sure very excited to start the next chapter of your life set the scene for me first day of practice at usc you've got pete carroll you have this brand you've seen your whole life on television all the glitz all the glamour you are actually on the practice field what was that whole experience like Now, you know, the recruiting process is over. You're just a little fish in a big pond, uh, an, an ocean, actually, because, you know, the whole recruiting process is over. It's like, well, where's the love at? <laughs> you know, where's, uh, where's the cookies and milk? And where's these, uh, the, the, 
the, the, the dining, um, the fine dining and where's all this love at? Where's the text messages and the phone calls and all that ends. And you're like, all right, this is real life now. And, um, I'm not getting babied anymore. You're playing with the big dogs. So you have to strap your, your, your shoulder pads, put on your helmet. And now it's all football. And you know, the whole Hollywood scene is over. Now you have to play football. And, um, but it, it was awesome. At the same time, it's awesome because, you know, USC, I don't know if you know about USC practices. Carol makes it as fun as possible. You have live music out there. Well, not live music, but you have the big speakers and, you know, he has, you know, these, these, these songs that, you know, get your blood flowing and, um, the, the, you know, the practice is open to the public. So there's like over two to 300 fans just, you know, cheering on each and every play. So if you make a 10 yard run, you have people cheering for it. So it was fun. I mean, it was, it was cool to see that. And you have all the fans who kind of follow your recruiting process and, you know, they, they have, they, they have your back, um, but it was uh, it was a it was a an eye opening experience to see like the competition level was completely different and much better than high school. So if you were going to give some advice to you know seventeen year old eighteen year old Emmanuel Moody about the recruiting process, what would you tell him? Choose a place that has a strong alumni. I mean, a well-connected alumni program, um, something that's going to set you up life after football. And um, that's that's the biggest uh, advice I would give. That's really not about all about football because in, you're only an injury away from not being the guy anymore. And, you know, I'm a testament to that. Because at USC, I mean, I was – a Heisman talk before the Oregon Oregon injury. I mean, after I broke my ankle, like I was kind of the guy, and you know everything can just end from there. And also in Florida, I had a lot of injuries, so I'm big on making sure you do get your education. Also, just the alumni, making sure the alumni is strong and um, you know, is, is, a, is a good alumni support life after football, and I feel like that's huge. Whereas just choosing a school that doesn't have a huge alumni um, system and network. So two two questions for you before we ask what you're up to now that connects to that question. But the first one is, what do you think most kids nowadays are basing their decision on with when they choose a school? Is it sort of the glitz and the glam and the brand name? Is it the personal relationship with the coach? Or is it something like proximity to family? Those tend to be the three that are thrown around the most. Which one or which ones um, do you think seem to weigh the heaviest? I feel like kids are getting smarter now because you do see like the Baylors and the A&Ms, they're getting stronger and they're starting to keep their kids that are from whatever state that they're from. more. They're trying to keep them in state now. So I think kids are starting to catch on where life after football Wherever school you go to, that's where you're going to have the most support. So if you're not a Florida kid, you probably shouldn't go to Florida because if you're planning on living in, you know, let's say California because you're, you're from California, it, it wouldn't be wise to go to Florida because 
you're going to plan on living in California anyway where there's not a huge Florida network. There's not going to be that kind of support, and you're not going to see a great life after football transaction if you're not uh, going back to the state where you played at. So if, you know, and I'm saying this from experience, I come back to Texas, I'm a Texas kid, but my job opportunities, my network is usually in Florida or California. So you're not going to have the support and the network that, you know, you probably should have if you don't play in the state that you're from. I, I strongly feel, I feel strongly about that. And, and I believe that, you know, a lot more kids are staying in state because of the support they're going to get from the family, not only from the family, from the state, from the fans, because if you plan on living in whichever state you play, or if you plan on living there, play in that state. Hmm, I feel yeah. like that's huge advice. And I would, I would highly recommend that. Yeah. That's an interesting um, perspective for sure. Uh, and then another, well, another question that I'm really curious to hear the answer on, especially because you went to USC, it's talked about all the time. How real do you think it is that recruits still get paid? And, and to set the table for this, I know here at Florida, most of the informed fans' opinion is that recruits at virtually every major school are being slipped money or benefits somehow. And since you played at two major schools and went through a, a you know heavy recruiting process, is that true, not true, kind of true? I and mean, what are your thoughts on that? No one's ever going to tell the truth. Because <laughs> you still want to come back and, you know, come back to a game at USC and come back to a game at Florida and you can't bash the school you come from. But, you know, is it going on? I'm sure it is. You know, I'm sure it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's indirect. It's not direct. And it's going to be hard to trace and things like that. But, you know, like Bill Belichick said, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. A lot of people in a corporate jobs and sales, they – you know, they don't do a drug test because they want to get someone passed on through the next level. It's like you know, it happens in a lot of these corporations, and they're looking at, hey, man, these schools are cheating. And, you know, it's happening in a lot of these Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. And, you know, but it's indirect. It's not direct. You might have, you know, an extended person who's not even part of the company that, you know, you're trying to reach out to saying, hey, give them this money. Hey, give them, you know, the one of the three cars that you currently have or at least in this car and has nothing to do with the school, but you know, it's like a friend of a friend of a, a coach maybe or something like that. That's kind of stuff happens, you know? And, you know, so it's going to be hard to trace and, you know, it, 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 most of it's all speculation, but it doesn't happen. Of course it happens. Hmm. Yeah. Most yeah, that's most that's, interesting. And that'd be a, that'd be another yeah. topic where maybe we bring you on, a different day. That's just such. It's always talked about, but like you said, do people pull the truth on it? Probably not. Can you figure out exactly what's going on? Who knows? But it seems to be an, a continual underlying current as to maybe why some guys go to some schools. And for example, Ole Miss is a school that's brought up yeah. all the time with that. Is how is Ole Miss constantly recruiting these guys when they have a history of not being able to do it? And that's kind of what gets raised. So interesting yeah. topic for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean. NCAA should be paying their kids anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of NCAA, and but I could, I could, that could be another discussion. And that NCAA is definitely paying players. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, they should definitely pay players. That's that's you know, like, and that's why these kids take the extra money and they take you know these extra handouts because you can't get a job during the season, and you know, and you expecting a kid to budget you know their money when they 
they're dirt poor first of all. Not many of these kids come from a you know family that has a lot of money. So you know you get like a thousand dollars a month, and you tell them the kid to budget that. You know he might spend it in a week or two, and now he's looking for handouts. You know, for so, sure. Yeah, I mean that's another discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us uh, what you're up to these days. Uh, what's going on with you? Uh, right now, I'm selling technology, cloud-based phone systems, and uh, based out of Plano here in Texas. So that's what I'm doing. I do B2B sales, business to business, and I'm just doing sales, man. Something I can stay competitive in, and that's where I'm currently at. So as a as a sort of a put a bow on this whole process. How yeah. often is it in your real life now that people in Texas recognize or remember who you were in your football life? Not as much as they would recognize me in California or Florida, and that's why I say if you're in state, stay in state. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but they do recognize me, and that's how I actually get a lot of business when I'm speaking with the CEOs and stuff. You know, they'll kind of find that connection with football, and they're like, "Hey, we kind of know you." and I mean, I guess since they know about football and they, and they know my track record, we can trust you because you're a football player. We kind of knew who you were. So, you know, just some sleazy salesman that you know, has been selling all his life, you know. So, yeah, I do run some guys in Texas, um, but not as much as I would if I were to sell in Florida or California. Well, really appreciate you coming on and sharing some of your story with us and being, you know, thoughtful and candid about it you know thank you very much for the time really appreciate it Manuel. yeah no problem go gators love you guys <laughs> go gators all right thanks Emmanuel. all right thanks Dan. all right buddy all right alan let's close the show out in traditional fashion with a little game since there's not a great college football topic for discussion per se let's do the super bowl kind of a great story you have peyton manning 39 years old back in the super bowl after One of the most incredible fourth quarters I've watched in the playoffs. Peyton Manning couldn't move the ball at all. Tom Brady just relentlessly attacking Denver's end zone. Somehow Denver survives, even though Gronk gets one-on-one coverage in the two-point conversion. They're in. Carolina, on the other hand, totally different story. Obliterates Arizona. Just obliterates them. We learned that Carson Palmer had a broken index finger on his throwing hand, which certainly makes a big difference, but it just didn't seem to matter. Carolina's a team I gave virtually no credit for in the beginning of the season. They lost Kelvin Benjamin. I figured this team is not going anywhere. Cam's overrated. And all they have done is basically obliterate the competition. They've certainly answered the bell about playing a soft schedule. And now it's new school Cam Newton, monster quarterback, very mobile versus Peyton Manning, who was kind of the beginning of the prototype NFL quarterback that still can play. Very interesting game. Carolina's favored by five and a half right now. What are your thoughts? What's your prediction? What are you feeling? Yeah, you're right. It is a really interesting game. It's, I mean, powered really by these two defenses, though. I mean, we've seen a lot of offense in the NFL this year, and you know, watching Denver's defense really decimate the Patriots' offensive line and put so much pressure on Brady and the amount of pressure that um, as a whole, the Carolina defensive unit was able to bring, and you know, I guess they intercepted every other pass. Felt like at the end of the game, um, feels like one side can score and one can't. But that Denver defense is phenomenal, so I'm expecting it to be fairly low scoring. I, I don't know. I'm still impressed by Peyton Noodle Arm Peyton, still throwing some touchdown passes. You know, the old sheriff out there. I 
I don't know. Can he pull out some kind of miracles? Feels like what it would take. Five and a half doesn't seem like a lot of points. Like even though it's a heavy favor for the Super Bowl, uh, I don't know. Carolina's been crushing people for the most part in the playoffs. I mean, we're destroying Seattle until the second half. You know, and they couldn't do anything. But I don't know. So feels like right now, you know, Carolina should be the heavy favorite. But that Peyton Manning storyline, you know, going out on top of one that Super Bowl. That'd be a really neat story. What about you? It'd be a wonderful story. For me, I really want Peyton to win. I've always sort of liked Peyton. I don't know whether it's just the cerebral way he plays the sport or, or his commercials, <laughs> SNL skits. I don't know, one or the other. But uh, everything about this just seems to be Cam Newton raining on everyone's parade. It was like a veteran quarterback Final Four, and then there's Cam Newton. And it's just sometimes it's the new kid on the block's turn. And, and I think actually the main reason why it's his turn is because of the offensive line play. Carolina has just obliterated their opponents that have inferior offensive lines. Seattle, horrible offensive line all year long. Probably the only reason why they're really not in the Super Bowl right now. Right. Um, they were asleep for the first half against Carolina. They made a ferocious comeback. Arizona really had a, a tough go of it on the offensive line on the road all year long. They got exposed. And, of course, Denver has a really bad offensive line. And and to me, it seems to be another story where Carolina is going to be able to have some time in the pocket and Peyton's not. Um, with that being said, Denver's defensive line is absolutely amazing. So what will Cam Newton do if he doesn't have time? He's kind of used to standing back there. So for me, that's the storyline. get rattled? Yeah, that's the storyline for me is... is is will Cam Newton be able to stand back there, stand tall in the pocket as comfortable as can be? And if he is, I think they'll win by 17 points. If they're able to get to him, I think the game becomes interesting. Peyton has proven this year that he can not turn the ball over. He can play smart. He can play slow. They'll play patient. They'll win a game where they grind it out. Carolina hasn't had very many of those games in comparison. So I think that's a story for me. I think it's either going to be Carolina winning big or Denver winning close and Peyton kind of riding out into the sunset. Uh, I, I'm going to lean towards Carolina. Everything just feels like this is Carolina's year to kind of ruin Peyton Manning's sunset parade. He won't be John Elway. He'll go down, which which pains me. So I'm going to take Carolina. As we're putting a score on it, uh, it seems like Denver's defense is, in fact, really, really good. Super Bowls tend to be weird, though. So I like Carolina in this game probably something like 27 to 13 is what I like. But but like I said, I don't have a strong conviction on this one. I think it could really go either way. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, we might see Cam Newton run more than he has recently because there's nothing to save him for in this game. You know, it's the Super Bowl, go all out. Um, and he's just a freight train when they decide to use him in that, uh, you know, read option kind of format. So could could get ugly if they start piling up points if Denver can't figure out how to solve that. Um, but yeah, I, Denver's defense is pretty incredible, so I don't expect it to be a blowout. And with that, let's close the show out. So exciting stuff happening next week, February 4th. We'll be back on the air in the studio. We'll break down, uh, the recruiting what's happened with it, what our class looks like, what everyone else's class looks like. And then we'll set the stage for spring practice, which will be a much more interesting spring practice than it otherwise would have been because we have a wide open quarterback competition kind of pick your horse and see who wins it. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. So we will see you back here on February 4th. <laughs>